hppodcraft.com. During the long, long day of the 24th of December, the children of Dr. Stahlbaum were not permitted to enter the parlor, much less the adjoining drawing room. Frederick and Maria sat nestled together in a corner of the back chamber. Dusky twilight had come on, and they felt quite gloomy and fearful, for as was commonly the case on this day, no light was brought into them. Fred, in great secrecy and in a whisper, informed his little sister, she was only just seven years old, that ever since morning he had heard a rustling and a rattling, and now and then a gentle knocking in the forbidden chambers. Not long ago also he had seen a little dark man with a large chest under his arm gliding softly through the entry, but he knew very well that it was nobody but Godfather Drosselmeyer. Upon this, Maria clapped her little hands together for joy and exclaimed, Ah, what beautiful things has Godfather Drosselmeyer made for us this time? Ooh, you know, after reading The Sandman, any guy who makes stuff in an ETA Hoffman story makes me very uncomfortable. (laughs) I'm more uncomfortable with, you know, in the paragraph it says Maria is seven years old. Fred's little sister. Doesn't mention Fred's age because he's 35. What? (laughs) That's not true. That's not true. It's the holiday season, everybody. Yes. And that was the opening paragraph of The Nutcracker and The Mouse King by E.T.A. Hoffman. We are getting in the holiday spirit with this novella all month long. Have yourself a frightening little Christmas. Very scary solstice. A horrific Hanukkah or a creepy Kwanzaa. Whatever you do this time of year, we want it to be good for you. As Chris mentioned, we covered Hoffman earlier in the year with The Sandman. Extra creepy. We loved it. Uh, We are reading this book in a very popular edition that you can find online. It's adapted from the German in 1853. It says by Mrs. St. Simon. Uh, Hopefully St. Simon isn't like St. John and I'm mispronouncing it or something. (laughs) I think it is Mrs. St. Simon. There's some illustrations as well that accompany this version of it on wood, if that's your preferred medium. So uh, you can check that out at Gutenberg. (laughs) The story was originally written in 1816. In 1855, Alexander Dumas, who everybody knows who that guy is, mm. he adapted it, changing it around a little bit. And then the Dumas version was used as the basis for the insanely well-known Tchaikovsky ballet, The Nutcracker. I've never seen it, and I've always kind of wanted to. So since we're going Nutcracker crazy all month with this, I thought it actually is playing at the very theater where Heather runs box office. Not that oh. that mattered and we didn't get a free ticket or anything, but I am going this Saturday. I read actually... But this one show usually accounts for the majority of a typical ballet company's revenue in a year. Oh, my God. But check this out. All the tickets uh-huh. were the same price, no matter where you sit. Somehow, when I checked in, there were only a few left. I got box seats, what? which I've never had before. There's only four people oh, up in the box. Yeah. Heather knows me very well, because as soon as I reported this, she's interrupted me. No, you cannot wear a phantom mask. <laughs> she knew. But here's the thing I realized. Lots of different versions of the Phantom Mask, but the most popular one is a half mask. Mm-hmm. The seats are next to each other. So all I need to do all right, is bring yes. two masks, one for each side. And then depending on which side Heather sits, because if I say you have to sit on my left, she'll know, you know. So I have to uh-huh. bring the two and then I'll wear the mask for the other side. She'll Perfect. never know. She won't know. The audience down in the orchestra seating, however, terrified. <laughs> That's what people want when they go see a Christmas ballet. Dance the nutcracker for me! 
So that's what I'm gonna do for this show. I'm gonna hit up the Nutcracker dressed like the Phantom. That's for work. Speaking of sexy phantoms, who was that reader? Oh my gosh, that was Andrew Lehman. As always, Andrew and the HPLHS are cooking up some great stuff this time of year. This is just under the wire, but they have a sale ending December 3rd. Today, if you're listening to this today, get your booty on over there mm -hmm. because they are releasing a downloadable version of the next audiobook, The Literature of Lovecraft, featuring stories that H.P. Lovecraft mentions in supernatural horror and literature or his commonplace book or letters to friends. Mm -hmm. The collector's version will be available as soon as the manufacturer can ship the fancy boxes, hopefully early January. They have a few other super cool items discounted right now, so don't wait. Head on over to the HPLHS.org and get yourself some Lovecraftian goodness. Yes, and if you get in there after December 3rd, you, you still want that discount on the downloadable version, let them know you heard about it on our show and they might be able to cut you a deal. Oh, yeah. Okay, we're going to break the story into four parts. So we'll be doing Nutcracker all month. I promise it is pretty weird, right? I only read the first part, but you told me some Sandman-like stuff happened. It does. Yeah, this is very different. I'm only halfway through, but okay. it is very different than the musical. Than the ballet. Yeah, the ballet. What, what happens in that, there's a, a girl falls asleep, then there's some mice, the Nutcracker turns into a handsome dude, they fight... And then the rest of the whole thing is her just going to these magical lands and seeing people dance. And right. that's it. That's pretty, pretty much the whole thing. This has got some other crazy stuff going on in there that is very unsettling. So I think that this is a perfect story for a strange study. Excellent. It would be funny if the ballet was a literal adaptation and we found that the text was just full of describing spin kicks and... <laughs> prancing. <laughs> Here's a quick bit before we jump in from Telling Tales, The Impact of Germany on English Children's Books. I found. This is a book mm. by David Blamerez. Hoffman's Nussnacker und Mauskinig is an extraordinarily innovative and unusual piece of writing for children, way ahead of its time in its complete abandonment of didacticism and moral instruction. Almost 50 years before Lewis Carroll's Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, it incorporates its original audience as characters within the story. But whereas Alice blends fantasy with parody and comedy, the Nutcracker displays a less whimsical, perhaps more subtle sense of humor. It is a more realistic kind of fantasy in that the nocturnal events actually unfold in the same place that the children themselves inhabit. Like many of Hoffman's other tales, the boundaries between fantasy and reality are blurred. Not only Maria, the chief protagonist of the story, but also the reader may have difficulty in distinguishing the two. Mm -hmm. The German original was first published in 1816 in a volume entitled Kindermarken, uh, children's stories. The story was later republished in the first volume of Hoffman's own collection, Die Serapiensbruder, where its suitability for children is debated. This is a question that is often raised, but the title of the 1816 volume, Children's Stories, indicates Hoffman's intention. The question is raised as much as anything because the story operates on more than one level. There are aspects of the story that children would not be expected to grasp. Literary allusions, asides, narrative tricks, but most of it perfectly comprehensible to intelligent children, such as those of <laughs> Hoffman's friend, Julius Eduard Hitzig, for whom the story was written. What is so wonderful about the Nutcracker is the fact that it appeals to child and adult alike and that Hoffman did not write down for his intended child readers. In point of style, themes, and narrative technique, it is superbly crafted as any of his other tales. The only difference lies in the fact that the story primarily focuses on children rather than adults. The very last thing that I wanted to say before we jump into the story, so that was my note for setup. I think it's helpful. Mm -hmm. You've been hearing some music from the Nutcracker Suite by uh, Tchaikovsky under this. Oh, it's really good. That I produced. It was you? Yes. <laughs> last week I thought, hey, I'll bet somebody's shared the MIDI files for the Nutcracker Suite. And MIDI files are sort of a digital version of the score. Luckily, there was a pianist named R.J. Stratton Jr 
who did just that. He has the, the piano score available as digital data, so I took his piano performance of the eight most popular Nutcracker tunes, and I basically fed him to the robot from Fondly Fahrenheit, if you remember that story <laughs> about do. the serial killer robot. He went nuts <laughs> under hot conditions, so I imagine he's probably working mostly in cold, Christmassy climates. Of course, yeah. Somebody might have fed him this digital data of the Nutcracker Suite, and my version of it is what the Fondly Fahrenheit robot would play as he's shaking his ass and working. Mm -hmm. So that's what this is. I'll release it right now, actually, as bonus content. In fact, that's going to be our bonus episode for the month. It's up there right now. If you hop up to six bucks for the month, you can play the whole rob robotty mess whenever you want. And if you're already there, you're already getting it. That's right. <laughs> In so many ways. <laughs> <laughs> Our story begins with these two children, Fred and his little sister Maria. It was changed to Clara in Dumas's version for some reason. Mm. They, like most children, are super jazzed about Christmas. They have this godfather called Drosselmeyer, who is a toy maker. Mm -hmm. Very suspicious about that. Watchmaker. Yeah. And he, every year he makes them something totally awesome. And they are super stoked that he's about to visit. And here's a description of him. Counselor Drosselmeyer was not a very handsome man. He was small and thin, had many wrinkles in his face. Over his right eye, he had a large black patch, and he was without hair, for which reason he wore a very nice white wig. This was made of glass, however, and was a very ingenious piece of work. Made of glass? Yeah. Spun glass? Or is it just one big piece, like a helmet? What is going on? I don't know. Talk about a hook into a story. Here's a mechanical genius with an eye patch and a glass wig. I'll read the rest of this book. I don't care what it's about. <laughs> I guess it's some sort of spun glass, but the first thing that popped into my head was the robot Tweaky from Buck Rogers. Uh-huh. It had sort of a one-piece hair-like robot thing over its head. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, So yeah. I was kind of thinking of one piece like that, or like the Gollum, the old from the movie. Oh, right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Kind of has a clay thing like that. That's what I He's thought, too. He's a, sort of a fringe bob, I think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I bet if you looked it up, if you took more time, which I did not, you could probably find some glass wigs and know what this is in reference to. Or maybe he's just such an innovative mechanical artist that he it really is a unique thing that just he did. I don't know if he's a toy maker. I think he's a clocks guy or a watch guy, like you said. Well, he makes toys, so he's a toy maker. He's the little dark man in the intro paragraph we heard that the 34-year-old brother saw. He came in with a huge chest that's uh, probably got some treasures in store for them, so we're going to find out what those are. The parents, they got to make sure that the kids are going to express some gratitude because that's something parents must do for their children the world over. Is that something you have to do? Oh my God, yeah. Not every time. They're getting better with it with age like yeah thank you and please is now almost automatic but man so many times somebody gives them something they'll just look at it and go oh and then walk away it's no yeah say thank you now it's christmas eve and the kids are speculating on what he's going to bring them fred thinks it's going to be a castle for his toy soldiers but maria thinks it's going to be a lovely garden where there is a great lake upon which beautiful swans swim about with gold collars around their necks and sing their sweetest songs. Then there comes a little girl out of the garden down along the lake and coaxes the swans to shore and feeds them sweet cake. Like, what? I mean, those expectations are pretty high. Maybe yeah, this guy man. can deliver. I don't know. But I love Fred's response. He goes, swans don't eat cake. That's the thing he's got a problem with. Not this entire <laughs> scenario where there's a lake. <laughs> the clockmaker's going to make a lake with animals on it. But they present, he's, they're very somewhat stereotypical boy-girl. He's into his war games. And yeah. she's into much more mellow, scenic things. Animals. Yeah. 
Maria also has this old doll that she really loves. She's pretty wore out. Fred goes off. He plays with his toy soldiers and she with her doll when they hear the doorbell ring and they know it's Drosselmeyer. Papa and Mama stepped to the door, took them by the hand and said, come, come, dear children, and see what Christmas has brought you this year. And we get into chapter two, the gifts. The children go into the main room and there's an amazing Christmas tree covered in gold and silver apples. And there is the smell of candy and cookies. The kids are entranced by all the beauty in this place. Uh, Now, Maria spots some dolls, a tea set, nice little furniture. Fred has scored a new bay horse, which I gather is like a hobby horse. I hope they didn't wrap a real horse up. (laughs) This would be a dark story. Well, he's riding it around the room, so I'm assuming it's a hobby horse. And he says, I'm going to, you know, this this is a wild horse. I'm going to have to break this thing. (laughs) Right. You know, like break its spirit. Yeah, because that's his pretend game that he's doing. Man, this kid. He also gets a new regiment of hussars, which are Polish cavalrymen. These guys got a good haul. Of course they did. They're obviously super wealthy. Well, their dad's a doctor. Yeah, that's yeah. what happens. The bell rings again, and that means Godfather Drosselmeyer is ready to show off what he has brought them. He ran towards a table that stood against the wall covered by a curtain reaching from the ceiling to the floor. The curtain behind which he had remained so long concealed was quickly drawn aside. And what saw the children then? Upon a green meadow, spangled with flowers, stood a noble castle with clear glass windows and golden turrets. A musical clock began to play when the doors and windows flew open and little men and women with feathers in their hats and long flowing trains were seen sauntering about in the rooms. In the middle hall, which seemed as if it were all on fire, so many little tapers were burning in silver chandeliers, there were children in white frocks and green jackets dancing to the sound of the music. A man in an emerald green cloak at intervals put his head out of the window, nodded, and then disappeared. And Godfather Drosselmeyer himself, only that he was not much bigger than Papa's thumb, came now and then to the door of the castle, looked about him, and then went in again. This weird thing happens. Fred says, he goes, I want to go into your castle. And I get, you know, he he means like, it's so cool. I want to be inside of it. Yeah. But Drosselmeyer says, oh, no, you're too big. You can't go inside the castle. Yeah. Why, why do you do all his dreams, man? <laughs> then Fred asks if the little green man could come out and walk around. And Drosselmeyer says, no, he can't do that. And then Fred goes, well, can the kid move down and do that? And he goes, well, no, the kid can't do that. He just keeps naming things. He wants this mechanized device to do all the stuff that it doesn't do. Yeah. And then Fred's like, oh, well, this thing sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes off to play with his cavalrymen. And Maria, who's a little bit more polite, also bored with this awesome thing that this guy built. But she sort of just drew off to the side and didn't yeah. make a big deal out of it. Yeah, yeah. But Drosselmeyer is pissed. And he says, an ingenious work like this was not made for stupid children. I will put up my castle again and carry it home. That's one where I kind of want to look at the German translation to see what he actually called them. Because that's pretty rough to say to someone's parents when you're hurt. <laughs> <laughs> the toy I made? Your children are stupid. Well, the parents do apologize. They talk him down. They give him some food, and his hurt feelings are smoothed over. It was very real, though, that you yeah. would, if you put this much effort into it and the kids just got bored with it, you'd have to understand that. <laughs> but that he was so hurt by it was funny. Fred is doing pretty much what any kid would do, though. You want things to be an open world. That gets us into chapter three, the favorite. Near the tree, Maria spots something. A curious little man came into view who stood there silent and retired as if he were waiting quietly for his turn to be noticed. 
It must be confessed, a great deal could not be said in favor of the beauty of his figure, for not only was his rather broad, stout body out of all proportion to the little slim legs that carried it, but his head was by far too large for either. A genteel dress went a great way to compensate for these defects, and led to the belief that he must be a man of taste and good breeding. He wore a hussar's jacket of beautiful bright violet, fastened together with white loops and buttons, pantaloons of exactly the same color, and the neatest boots that ever graced the foot of a student or an officer. They fitted as tight to his little legs as if they were painted upon them. It was laughable to see that in addition to this handsome apparel, he had hung upon his back a narrow clumsy cloak that looked as if it were made of wood, and upon his head he wore a woodman's cap. Nothing but kindness and benevolence shone in his clear green, though somewhat too prominent, eyes. It was very becoming to the man that he wore about his chin a nicely trimmed beard of white cotton, for by this the sweet smile upon his deep red lips was rendered much more striking. Now Maria asks her father, she goes, what's that? And he goes, oh, that's a nutcracker. And it's for everybody to use, you know, because you, you open it up, you put a nut in there, crack it, boom. <laughs> and she can see that he's got little sharp teeth. And Maria picks him up and she starts cracking nuts. And she is totally enchanted by this thing. This is a, th this is a tool, <laughs> basically, to eat nuts. And this is the thing the guy spent probably months building that. She's bored with that in two seconds, but this nutcracker... It's so kids. Oh, yeah. They just nails it. Like, I guess kids have been kids even in the 1800s. They were it still doing out, the same yeah. stuff. They had little adult faces back then. They didn't look like children. <laughs> yeah. I've seen the paintings. You've yeah, seen I the know paintings. That. Yeah, they had little grown-up faces. Her dad can see that she's really into this nutcracker, so he tells her that she's in charge of it, but everybody gets to use it. And Fred sees that she's really interested in this, so he decides that he's going to find the biggest nut, the hardest nut, and he crams it in there, and he just starts really jacking on that poor nutcracker, and he busts it. <laughs> Whoa, wait a minute, what? Like a literal jack. You know, a jack that you jack up a car. Oh, You would okay. do the same motion with the nutcracker to crack the nuts. Mm -hmm. So he's jacking on that nutcracker, I mean, and he breaks the teeth. I figured we'd get through a month of the nut because we're grown-ups. <laughs> He jacks the toy, mm -hmm. breaks some of the teeth, and the jaw pops off. He says, oh, this thing sucks too. So Fred can see that Maria's upset. He's like, well, you know what? Dad said I can do this, so I'm going to do this all I want. I'm going to keep doing it until all the teeth are busted. He's being mean to her, specifically yeah. upsetting her because she likes the nutcracker. She throws a fit. Her dad comes in, sees what's going on, tells Maria, okay, look, you're totally in charge of the nutcracker now. You decide who gets to use it and who doesn't. The dad says to Fred, you're being a bad general. The nutcracker was maimed in service and you should not place him in the ranks. And this actually seems to make Fred feel ashamed. And he leaves. That was a pretty slick move by the dad. Now, Maria takes a ribbon from her dress and she wraps around the jaw on the head of the nutcracker to fix his, his wound. She carries them around like a baby the rest of the night, which is funny. Because, man, yeah. they're, they're so ugly, those, the nutcrackers. Like, to see a little girl holding it going, oh, little. And he's got the, the teeth and the crazy mm -hmm. eyes and the pointy nose. This was meant to disturb children. Nobody thought it would catch on. <laughs> <laughs> this image was supposed to inspire nightmares. Drosselmeyer asks her why she likes to cradle such an ugly guy. And she thinks and then she looks at Drosselmeyer and says who knows dear godfather if you were dressed like my sweet nutcracker and had on such bright little boots who knows but you would be as handsome as he is <laughs> and that everybody gets a big laugh out of that one except for Drosselmeyer <laughs> 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 
<laughs> his wig isn't the only thing that's glass. <laughs> this kid, this guy is easily insulted by children. Although getting an insult from a kid is pretty rough. Yeah, it is. Because when it's a grown up, you think, well, they just don't like their own life, so they have to tear me down. Right. But when it's a kid, you go, oh man, they're probably telling the truth. Well, that's a sweet burn too. I mean, that's I, that, she's throwing some shade on him. Yeah. Oh, he's ugly like you, except he's got a better outfit. <laughs> Creep. But she, but the way she words it, it's like, well, you could be as handsome as he is yeah. if you just got, if you were a little better dressed. She's trying to help him out, which is pretty shady. That's shade. He should be feeling bad if a seven-year-old can shade you like that. And that gets us into chapter four, Wonders Upon Wonders. In the sitting room of the house is this big glass case, and it has all the stuff that's been given to them over the years, all this amazing stuff that Drosselmeyer has made. On the high shelf, that's where all the awesome stuff is because they don't want the kids messing with it because it's so rad and delicate. But on the lower shelves, the kids get to put whatever they like. This is just like the Shining Pyramid. This is the, the same case that, that guy kept his punch bowl in that he was scared that the dwarves were going to steal. <laughs> yes. Maria is having tea with Miss Trudgeon and her new doll, Miss Clara. As the evening gets late, their mother tells Fred, go to bed. But since Maria is being well behaved and just general the whole evening, she is allowed to stay up a bit longer. And she had something she wanted to do before she went to bed. She gets out the nutcracker, lays him on the t on the table. She apologizes for her brother and says that Godfather Drosselmeyer is the only one that can fix him. Just as she says this, friend Nutcracker made a terrible wry face and there darted something out of his eyes like green sparkling flashes. Oh my God. Dude, I got flashes of the Zuni doll from the trilogy of terror, you know, with Karen yeah. Black. Do you remember that thing? The, yeah, the, oh man, the little, we just watched oh. it. Is it scary still or is it no. ridiculous? It's okay. ridiculous. If you were a little kid, it, it would probably scare you. It freaked me out. I mean, Karen Black really sells it. She yeah. really sells it. Uh, <laughs> but it is a little crazy doll chasing her around, making funny noises. Yeah. Now, Heather had never seen that when she was young, I don't think. And when yeah. I put it on the other day, we man, we, re, we were laughing. Oh, it was good. so funny. It has no power over you. <laughs> this poor girl, Marie is also freaked out, but it's back to normal really quick. And she thinks, oh, is that a trick of the light? She recovers and she says that she's being silly for being scared of someone so kind. She thinks that this nutcracker is very yeah. benevolent. She takes him to the glass case and tells Miss Clara to let him have her bed since he's wounded. She doesn't trust Miss Clara, so she takes the bed and the nutcracker and puts them on the shelf above them. I guess she thinks Miss Clara, once she leaves, is going to kick the nutcracker out of the bed. If there's only one bed. So she locks the case and, be, and begins to go up to bed when she hears something, something rustling around. Then out of the clock, a little owl comes out. You can hear its gears click and make noise. And this noise sounds like words. That was odd. A dickery dickery dock were softly clock. Mouse King has a fine ear. Purr purr pum pum. The old song let him hear or he might run away in a fright. Now clock strikes softly and light. So there's music in the story. Yes. There's onomatopoetic clock sounds to kind of give you some rhythm and try and get you to sing the song that he's writing in here. I thought that was interesting. So from the start, this always was musical. I'm not sure what's going on exactly. I like that. Is she hallucinating? Is she just having a dream? Has she already fallen asleep? And is all this stuff not real? Halfway through the story, I'm not sure still. I'm sure you never will know. I mean, I don't see why he would tell you that she was asleep the whole time. Well, some stories end like. I would bet. I've only read the first quarter. I've only read what we're going to cover today. But I 100% bet there's some evidence that it wasn't a dream. Oh, So sure. that you don't know. Oh, there's more than some. <laughs> okay, well, this was an interesting element because I thought perhaps there were mice in the house or 
they, had see, they would have seen a mouse earlier. Mm-hmm. Something like that would play into what I knew was going to become some kind of fantasy battle. <laughs> but then, no, the clock just says the Mouse King is showing up soon. It's like she walked into some conflict that plays out here every night and that she's just only now finding out about. Maria is frightened, and she's about to run out of the room when she notices that the owl from the clock is transformed and now looks like Godfather Drosselmeyer. This is all very bizarre because I guess he's little. I guess it's a little version of him, but she addresses him like he's not because this yeah. kid's got some guts. She doesn't run. She just yells at him. She goes, Godfather Drosselmeyer, come down and don't frighten me. <laughs> so she just accepts that he is this little version of him is him. Yeah. And then orders him. But she's seven. So that's not, I mean, you do live half in a fantasy world at that time of your life. And if something strange like that happened, you might just roll with it, even if you were terrified, because you you don't have that adult mind to tell you it's not real. Then behind the walls, she hears the sound, like thousand little feet moving around. Lights peep out from the floorboards, but they're not lights. They are eyes, the eyes of mice. And they march out. When they march out, they form lines like military... Mm-hmm. battalions they're all organized and there's this terrible squeaking so piercing it felt as if cold water was splashed down her back and here she addresses the reader and she calls him frederick which yep. fred is her brother right i was confused about that as well but i think that 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 one of the children in the story is named the same as one of the children the story's written for so it's saying hey there's a kid in here mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? It's trying to relate yes. the experiences because that's exactly what happens in this moment. Sure. Right? Yeah. And that happens later in the story. I, I, this is a story within a story we get within yeah. a story. It goes three deep at, at one point in the next chapter. Right. Anyway, Just like the Sandman. So the narrator talking to Fred says, look, I know you're a brave boy, but if you were there, you would have ran yeah. because that's how scary this was. Alas, poor Maria could not do that now. For listen, children, close before her feet, there burst out sand and lime and crumbled wall stones as if thrown up by some subterranean force. And seven mice heads with seven sparkling crowns rose out of the floor, squeaking and squealing terribly. Presently, the mouse's body to which these seven heads belonged worked its way out and the great mouse crowned with the seven diadems, squeaking loudly, huzzahed in full chorus as he advanced to meet his army, which at once set itself in motion. And hot, hot, trot, trot it went, alas, straight towards the glass case, straight towards poor Maria, who stood close before it. That is horrific. That is really disturbing. A seven-headed yeah. beast comes out, and there's all this, and it's so surreal. She backs up and breaks one of the glass panels in the case. She's not afraid when she hears voices in the case calling to awaken. Like, everybody get up, get up. And it's the Nutcracker. He jumps up out of bed, ready for action and attack. And he says, Uh, Crack, 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 stupid pack, drive mouse back. Calls out to the toys, asks if they will aid him in the attack against the mouse army. And they say, yes, until death. They jump out. The (laughs) Nutcracker jumps out of the case. It's a quite a distance, or at least it would be for him. So Maria jumps out, grabs him. She's afraid he's going to break on the floor since he's already hurt. She tells him not to worry about the fight. He needs to rest. He's broken, but he wiggles out of her out of her hands and says that he will take her kindness with him into battle. And now the doll, uh, Miss Clara, you know, Maria thought Miss Clara wasn't going to like the Nutcracker because he was going to steal the bed from her, but it turns out she's got a little thing for him. She tries oh, right. to give him a scarf to carry into battle, but he doesn't take it. What he carries into battle is that uh, piece of fabric that she t- that Maria tied up his jaw with. So it's yes. like he's fighting for God, really, is what's <laughs> happening here. Not for you, Clara, but for God. You understand, my kind and good readers and listeners, 
that Nutcracker, even before he had thus come to life, had felt very sensibly the kindness and love which Maria had shown towards him, and it was because he had become so partial to her that he would not receive and wear the girdle of Miss Clara, although it shone and sparkled so brightly. The true and faithful Nutcracker preferred to wear Maria's simple ribbon. But what will now happen? As soon as Nutcracker had leaped out, the squeaking and whistling was heard again. Ah, it is under the large table that the hateful mice have concealed their countless bands, and high above them all towers the dreadful mouse with seven heads. What will now happen? Ah, cliffhanger! What a funny chapter ending. What will now happen? And in this translation, for whatever reason, there's no question mark. It's just an exclamation point. So it's somebody screaming that as a statement at you. What will now happen? Ah, uh, yeah, this is great. I'm so glad that we, we decided to cover this story. There are always some things that you miss in culture, and for me, this is one of them. So I like that I'm getting my crash course, the 301 course in the Nutcracker. I want to thank our reader once again, Andrew Lehman, who says he's going to be on board with this the whole time. Don't forget to go to the HP Lovecraft Historical Society. Check out all their holiday offerings. I want to thank some of our patrons. I'm going to start with Daisy. Thank you so much. I'd like to thank Anthony Panetta. David Ricker, thank you. Craig Moreland, thank you. Derek Soto. Tech. What's hey, up, man? Derek. How are you? Thank you so much, Derek. Surprised that he still uh, gives us money considering that he's hung out with us. <laughs> I want to thank Eric Foster. I want to thank Joe Kelly. I'd like to thank Buradori. Rick Ray, thank you so much. And lastly, Daniel Wood, thank you so much for your support. Thank you all. The music you're hearing now is available on this very site, Patreon. You can uh, go grab it at the $6 level. Play for the holidays. It'll be good for you. Be good for your breakdancing relatives. And that's all we have. Uh, we're going to be back with the Nutcracker Part 2 next time. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. I'm Chris Lackey, and you've been listening to Strange Studies of Strange Stories on hppodcast.com and Patreon. Tune in next time to find out what happens. hppodcast.com ah!